Welcome to the journey of an esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Is this Mitch Hampton? This is Mitch Hampton, and welcome to our podcast, Journey of an Esthete. I was wondering how you'd say that. How do you pronounce it? I'm just curious. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, you're, you're obviously doing the right thing. It's the first time I've ever heard it. Oh, really? Wow. Well, it's, I mean, it's, um, it's a noun. I mean, it comes from aesthetic, of course, right? Aesthetics and certainly. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the reasons why you're on our show, um, of course. But I, I um, you know, I don't really know if I pronounce it correctly. No one's corrected me thus far. So um, I'm just going to stick with what I can do. Uh, it's <laughs> awesome. Really, it's really an honor to have you on our show. And, you know, it, it all starts, in your case, uh, from a single photograph. Um, yeah, because I, was a, I am a fan, was a fan of the late, great Deborah Turville. Mm. And I know you did work with her in general, I think. Um, but I was fortunate to acquire a photograph of the Vogue bathhouse um, photograph that she did that you were a part of. <laughs> well, it was interesting. Uh, it was my first shooting for Vogue, and um, it was in the men's public bathhouse on 23rd Street in New York City. Yeah. It's an amazing place. It it's is. all white marble with gray streaks in it and brass, everything. And uh, um, it was February. It was cold. Hmm. We were in bathing suits. Yep. And there were a lot of us, so it took time for hair and makeup. Mm -hmm. And in that time, she was probably nervous, as we all were, because I think... Most of us that were there had never been in Vogue, and in that business, that's a that's a big deal. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, by early afternoon, no photographs had been taken, and I was getting a little nervous that it wasn't going to happen. And in that setting, in the bathing suits, it just felt like being a gladiator waiting to go out into the Colosseum and, and ride the chariots or huh. fight the lions or whatever. Um, well, and yes, um, 
I'll backtrack a little bit. Yeah, I'd like, My I'd very- like to hold that thought because I did want to talk a little bit about, you know, your your origins doing that kind of work before we get to your healing. I mean, I want to cover as much as we, if, with your permission, as much as we can. But, but go ahead. What were you going to? What were you going to say? So. My very first job was with Carl Fisher for Redbook, and it was to illustrate a Carlos McCullough story. And um, they asked me if I could do a finger wave, and of course I said yes, and I had no idea. And then I got the booking, and I was like, oh my goodness, now I have to do it. And so I messed around with my hair with bobby pins, because my mom was of that era. Mm -hmm and go out to Connecticut to a house. And um, there was a, I guess, a very well-known male model at the time that was about to go over to Italy to do fashion shooting. And Carl Fisher was like, okay. Now, Carlos McCullough was um, basically um, um, much to herself. She was very shy and quiet. And she didn't like her picture taken. Mm-hmm. So I'd like you to look shy and quiet like you didn't want your picture taken. And it was like, that was easy because I was like scared and uh, nervous. And he was like, oh, great, wonderful, mm-hmm. you know. And so that kind of really set the mood for me for the rest of my career yeah. was to be the woman, the the girl, the person that was in the setting and the clothes that I was in. So I did a lot of method acting. Interesting. Well, that, that, well, that fascinates <laughs> me because I know that you, I, I understand you associated with, with Ford Modeling, which is one of the, which is certainly an extraordinary institution. I thought maybe you wanted to discuss that, that world or coming out of that or uh, anything that comes to your mind because that's, a, that's certainly, um, you can't get much... Yeah. It's more impressive than that, I don't think, at that time. Well, there were a lot of good modeling agencies around by that time, yeah. not only in New York, but in, in Europe and everything. Um, actually, I started with Stuart models. Uh-huh. Um, when I went to Eileen, I went on Easter break um, because I was wanting to earn money for college. Mm. Um, and I went with a friend from high school. And... Uh, uh, we went to Stuart Models and we were interviewed and then went to Eileen Ford, tried to find Wilhelmina, but never could find her um, in the time we had. And uh, Eileen sent me to a photographer. Um, uh, his name might come to me. I never really worked with him that much. Um, and when I went back to her, she said, well, I think you should go home and forget about it. <laughs> so when I came to Ford's, it was um, eight years into my 15-year career. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really her kind of gal. But I had a career, and I was a moneymaker. So she took me in. She's a businesswoman. Right. And she was interesting because her birthday is um, March 28th. Mm-hmm. And mine's uh, a little bit later in April, and I was a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. And so, but I always remembered her birthday, and I would go to Zabar's and get a basket and fill it with all kinds of wonderful finger food and jams and, you know, just whatever seemed good. Yeah. 
and bring it to her on her birthday. Wow. And she would be like, how do you always remember? And I said, well, I'm, I'm an Aries too. Oh, and she said, oh, no, you're not. You're too nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, anyway, I mean, she was interesting to deal with because you just never knew if she was going to be loving and kind or a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I imagine she had to be both. I mean, someone in her in her position and her uh, uh, yeah. skill had, yeah. had to have more than one, you know, one skill or one. Probably all kinds of things going on in that world. I'd imagine. I mean, she really kept things organized and straight in it, and in a business that doesn't necessarily wasn't necessarily um, uh, abiding by guidelines especially with photographers and, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, you, I'd go out on this, uh, to my appointments or a booking and I'd be, you know, full of full on makeup dressed, you know, uh, fabulously. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people guys would try and pick me up on the street and it was like, yeah. no way. And you'd go into, uh, a person's office, a stranger, but you had their name and their address, and they were looking for somebody to do the job. And you'd go in and go, hi, how are you? <laughs> yeah. So it's an interesting, you know, um, an interesting uh, opportunity and, and challenge at the same time. Yeah, I like to hear both about the challenges and opportunities. I want to come back to Turbville because I, I do consider her an artist. Oh, she was amazing. I mean, and, and, and yeah. Well, what I mean is that she, what set her apart from the other photographers of that period, if you had to talk about qualities that uh, her vision, or if, whatever you want to say comes to mind about that. Well, she wanted to capture glamour that wasn't glamorous. Mm. Okay, she didn't want to do the traditional, you know, fashion um, set up with the, you know, um, she liked environments and she, it always seemed like I was cold when I was working with her. Um, uh, but it's, you know, I mean, she just didn't want an ordinary fashion shot, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the posed and everything she wanted natural and elegance and, but a bit of mystery at the same time. Mm-hmm. No, I worked with her for many years, mm. both in New York and Europe. Wow. And we were friends. I mean, we'd, we'd go do things and have dinner and, you know, and we talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's remarkable. I mean, I, what were some of the other photographers that you worked with? There probably many, but um, in that period of time, it's so fascinating culturally, the 70s. and. Um, oh, it was... It, it was a time apart. Yeah, I just think about you and Chris Warrior in this photograph. And, of course, she I mm-hmm. guess she's I, – uh, my ideal was to have one episode with all of you on the same episode. But that's, that's <laughs> maybe sometime in the future. But, the, but, I was, but then when I, you know, discovered that you were doing this work and, and healing, I thought, oh, we got to <laughs> – it was like I made a beeline for almost to that. So there's there's a lot there's a lot to talk about, but say, say more about those years and you know, the seventies and, and your modeling the culture then or how it's changed or, or uh, 
Well, whatever. how I got there, how I got there was my parents sold our house in Garrison, New York, and moved out to the Midwest. Huh. And I was in my second year of college. My father was a Bible scholar, and my mother was a converted Roman Catholic. Interesting. And they went and uh, were started living and working at Stonecroft Mission, and I was 20, yeah. having had two years of college. And I was like, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea for me. Um, and I had gone on Easter break and gotten acceptance from Stuart Models. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I had a friend that was staying at her boyfriend's apartment in the Bronx. And she said I could stay with her. So I had a place to stay, to land. And uh, so I tried to talk my parents into it and they were like, Oh no, you're coming home with us. And it's right. like, mm-hmm. so I called my college boyfriend in tears and said, you know, well, my parents said no. And he laughed at me. I almost hung up on him. Mm. Um, and he said, well, just because your parents said no, doesn't mean you have to obey them. I don't know why I didn't think of it. I mean, I didn't always do the golden rule with them, but, Hmm. He gave me the keys to my kingdom, and that was it. I was on my way to New York. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I never dreamed of doing it. I only did it so that I could go back to college and stay on the East Coast and see my boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, I was never a cheerleader or a prom queen. Or And uh, my first date in high school, I asked the guy out. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's really well, you know, so I just didn't have, you know, and looking back at my pictures, I was absolutely gorgeous, but I had no idea. (laughs) You know, when you're a a kind of an odd, odd question, because I am an outsider to to, to your world. I I don't know anything about it, really, except for Mm -hmm. uh, literature I've read, both journalistic and some some other things. But um, what were the differences between uh, the women, girls you met who did have that more typical background, who had been cheerleaders, um, prom queens, um, did you have find you actually had uh, commonalities with them after all? Or what were those differences or what? Because I don't really know. I mean, that was, it's interesting, interesting. Um, you coming from no, a different no, background. And, no, not really. You know, it seemed like um, the girls or young women I mean, there were beauty queens that came in that just didn't make it, right. you know, in the fashion world. It was, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough business. And, um, it, you, you know, it either clicked or um, ate you alive or you worked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I don't, uh, I wasn't doing the choosing, you know. Mm. I was hoping to be chosen. Yeah. So I don't, you know, somebody that was doing the choosing could tell you better. Um, the people that I worked with um, a lot, Arthur Elgort, mm. George Barkington, um, Rebecca Blake. Um, let's see. Uh, Oscar Peterson. <laughs> Uh, he goes, oh, I like you, you, because I wear glasses. Um, he says, you, you look kind of frumpy. <laughs> huh. And uh, no, he was the character and, and just wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So you, you evidently uh, were, were getting work and being chosen, as you said. But um, 
I'm just well. Yeah, it was inter- yeah. it was interesting because like I ended up in the Bronx with like 125 dollars in my pocket and being 20 years old. Yeah. And in those days, uh, um, there were no cell phones. It was like a payphone was 10 cents and a ride on the subway was 25 cents. Yeah. Um, so I would show up at the agency first thing in the morning. And uh, at first they gave me go seats, so they sent me. And because I really didn't have any money, I walked around New York that whole summer. Um, And when I had about $5 left in my pocket, I asked one of the bookers and said, well, when do you think I'm going to get some work? Uh, And she said, well, it could take a while. And I said, well, I got five bucks, you know, and I guess... When that runs out, I'm going to have to call my parents, and and they don't really want me to be here, so they're probably going to drag me home. And I went on um, – photographers would um, uh, have you um, do a photo shoot as like a trial to see how you worked, how you worked with them, what you looked like, how the pictures came out. And what that would do would be they would have, they'd share prints with you um, and they would have prints for their portfolio and and so would you. I mean, I was walking around with um, pictures from the RIT photo students, you know. Um, And I originally came in with long hair Mm -hmm. and Donna DeSetta said, no, you got to cut it. And so she sent me to a hairdresser that she knew, and he cut off all my long red hair. Oh. Not all of it, but, you know, left it all kind of curly, short, girly. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so anyway, I went to Connecticut with a photographer, Jim Bogan, mm-hmm. and we shot all day and came back. And when, the next day, I had a booking. So, I mean, it's just like, I think the bookers were like, hey, we think she's really good. Um, she she doesn't have any money, you know. And um, the first one was, um, well, the Carl Fisher one, but um, Otto Stubikoff um, for Glamour. Um, and Barbara Bordnick for Seventeen. And when uh, the pictures came back to 17, they started booking me immediately. I mean, I had freckles and curly red hair. and um, um, those, were, those were quite famous photographs from that era, were they not? I mean, the, the 17 Sunny Redmond, I think, are iconic, aren't they? Is that, that yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it was it was a unique period of time because before that, I mean, it was just also a unique beginning of the junior or ingenue model. Yeah, I mean, because before, when the forties and fifties and even sixties, it was debutantes and and mm-hmm. you know, people, you know, people in society and. Mm-hmm you know, like that. And so the junior market was a whole new thing. I mean, and all the young people I was working with, we had no idea. We just go out and laugh and have fun and wear these crazy, you know, 70s clothes. And um, we had no idea, you, you know, but, you, but... When you say crazy, by, these clothes, what were typical, typical clothes of that? that well, it was bell bottoms, bright, bright clothes, patterns. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, it was 
you know, the, the, the beginning of um, psychedelics and uh, smoking pot mm-hmm. and uh, Woodstock and, I mean, and Vietnam War. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was, and, you know, peace marches and Martin Luther King and, um, and like that. Were you um, politically active in those years? Did you involve yourself in act, any activism in that in that time? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Huh? Uh, I. Um, you know, war is never a good thing. I mean, if you need to protect yourself, that's one thing. It's another thing. Um, if you're doing something for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very profound distinction, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's a difference. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was an amazing time and um, had a lot of fun and got to travel. Um, Traveling. So where, when you think about travel, what are the places that, um, that you went that stay with you that really made a difference in your life or particularly memorable or, or change, change something inside of you that come to mind? Well, the, the thing is that um, the fashion settings were three months in advance so that the film would, because we were in, in film and slides, so the film would have to get developed, they'd have to be looked at, then they'd have to be ch- chosen by the editorial staff and the mm-hmm. photographer, then there was the layout. So um, we were shooting summer in February, in January. I mean, sometimes you're out in Central Park and, you know, um, in freezing cold weather, shooting, you know, summer stuff. Um, Or they travel. I mean, uh, the Caribbean and Florida were big. And I I did a lot of the pattern catalogs, Simplicity and Buttrick and Vogue Patterns. Um, And... I mean, you'd go for a week, and uh, the week before, they had um, patterns chosen and garments made, and you'd have a fitting, and the seamstresses would uh, adjust anything, and then they'd pack up the clothes and um, send them wherever. And you'd arrive, you'd have a, an editor, a stylist, a photographer, an assistant, and whoever else was along on the shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the m- memorable ones was I got to go to Venice with Mademoiselle. Oh, wow. In February. <laughs> the, time, the only time I was ever in Venice was in late December. So I'm, I, well, I'm sure it's, it's great, you know. That's a, and whenever you go, I think yeah. it is. Um, but, um, I went with the editor, Harriet Kane, Mm -hmm. and she was, um, her nickname was Harriet the Hat Hmm. because she loved hats and I looked good in hats. So, you know, (laughs) she was always putting on and off hats during the, the, you know, while we were, uh, taking photographs. Um, but when we finished, um, we spent the night in Rome. We took a, you know, the jet boat back and we spent, and then the next day we went around and saw all just the amazing statues and everything there. 
that was fun. Um, Madison Mazel also uh, took me to Tahiti, which is really quite wonderful with George Barkington. And uh, that was a nice trip. Uh, Probably the most profound one, which is kind of leads into how I got into healing was um, we had a friend that got in on a private trip uh, in the Grand Canyon, a whitewater raft trip. And um, I went right from a Vogue shooting, you know, my straightened hair, Mm -hmm. my fake nails, um, you know, to Lee's, to Flagstaff, to Lee's Ferry. And I mean, I, I had no idea what I was, you know, what was going to happen. So I took my socks and shoes off to get into the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it was an amazing experience. The lead guy uh, grew up in Williams, Arizona, which is right below the Grand Canyon. And he was a Vietnam vet. And uh, one of a battalion of men, that's 500, and 12 came home. Mm. He walked point longer than he should have because they didn't have any replacements. Mm. He would uh, notice his shoe was untied and he'd stop to tie it Mm. and there'd be a tripwire in front of him. He'd stop to smoke a cigarette and uh, the other guys walking point with him would get shot. So when he came home, um, his father was the pharmacist in Williams, Arizona, and his mother was the first grade teacher. And his father figured out that he was uh, addicted to alcohol and heroin because he was self-medicating from what he'd been through. So his father took him and put him with the Hopi medicine men who took him to the Kivas, and they healed him. Because the indigenous people have um, ceremonies and ways to integrate uh, the warriors who have given risked their all for their tribe. Um, they have ways to integrate them back into normal life yeah. and on the process that they've been in. So uh, his name is uh, Wesley Smith. Mm-hmm. And um, he was talking about Sweat Lodge and Vision Quest mm-hmm. and natural healing and medicine wheel and all kinds of stuff that I had never heard of before. So and that's really um, new to you, is it right? It's an interesting. Totally. I mean, you know, I knew about aspirin and cough syrup and, sure. and so big vapor rub, you know, yeah. you know. Um, but what. What really caught my attention was the Vision Quest. Now, Vision Quest is a ceremony that's done around puberty, and you're prepared for it. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, he talked about it, but I still had no idea. But somehow, the process of, it's called crying for a vision, where you you basically ask God or consciousness or the universe, what am I here for? Mm. And even though I was beyond that age, I wanted to know. So, and I didn't tell anybody, you know, I just was like, okay, what am I here for? 
what am I here for? And I'd ask the river and hey, so, the rock. May, may I, may I, uh, sorry to it's a, indirect, but it, it's, isn't it fair to say that there's no wrong age to ask those questions? Can that be asked in, in, in well, an age? Well, <laughs> obviously I'm, not, because oh. on the third day, I heard a voice. Yeah. Now, I'd never heard of, I mean, you know, you have your own thoughts in your head that you kind of hear, yeah. but this was not anything I'd ever heard of before. And I mean, it sounded like a loud, loud speaker in my head, mm. but I knew somehow nobody else could hear it. Yeah. And so I, what am I here for? And the voice said very clearly, you're a healer. Oh. You should be healing. And I mean, I was ready to, you know, hike out of the canyon and check into medical school. I mean, it was that powerful. And I thought, hmm, three days in, you don't really know where you're going. You don't know if you have enough water. There's rattlesnakes. Probably not a good idea. But, I mean, that basically lit my pilot light. And um, came home to New York. You know, there was work afterwards, um, you know, modeling. But I stopped watching television, and I started looking for books and answers mm -hmm. that would tell me about the amazing experience that I had. Mm -hmm. And so here I am many years later. <laughs> well, you, well, I want to know how you got from just looking at the books to actually practicing this. And, and, and so you, you – I'm interested in some, some details of that, how that um, – yeah, um, my former spouse had a, um, a show of his artwork in Florida at a gallery, and he hired a writer from Boston, Massachusetts, um, to write about the show and put it in art magazines and things like that, take pictures. And um, I think the guy's name was Tony. Tony Towell. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, and his sister had been going to medicine wheel gatherings, Terry. And um, we had lots of talks. And um, she told me about um, Sun Bear and the medicine wheel gatherings. Oh. And, um, and there was one in Rhinebeck, New York, um, that summer, that next summer. And um, I went, and it, that, uh, that changed my life forever. I mean, there were teachers there. They set up a medicine wheel. I had a profound experience in that. I did sweat lodge. Um, and uh, they offered, if you wanted to, um, to do an apprenticeship. Now, as I'm a white person, I cannot legally or officially be... Um, a medicine person because yeah. I don't have I don't have the bloodline yeah. but he was teaching white people the sacred ways of the indigenous ones of this country and it was absolutely profound mm -hmm. amazing and it, it changed it because I did um, I also started uh, doing more they call it alternative but I don't consider it's alternative it's really traditional medicine, yeah. um, applied kinesiology, uh, reflexology, homeopathy, box flower remedies, paralandra essences. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought 
about maybe going to school and becoming a chiropractor, but between work and everything. And then in 1985, I became pregnant with my first child. Um, And I just kind of didn't have (laughs) the time or go back to school. Mm -hmm. But I haven't needed that because the training and um, certificates and the the different trainings that I've had, um, I haven't needed to go to uh, a medical school because I'm really kind of more of a traditional medicine person than the current medical technology, et cetera, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. I mean, it works really well. It can work really well if the current medical technology people are open to suggestion. I've done some really good work with some very severe cases Mm -hmm. that have improved better than the doctors ever thought because of the different things that I do. And not, not all, not all medical people are open to it. And I'm not an arm twister, but if I can help, I, 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 it helps. It's amazing. It's, it's different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's where the original pharmaceuticals come, come from. So you're, you're in Taos now. Is that still, still where you, where you practice? Yeah. Yeah. And how long? Yeah. How long have you been doing that practice for? Over, I imagine, over a decade, right? Or, or it's time. it's probably at least thirty years or more. Years, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I had a full-on practice in um, Aspen, where I lived for fifteen years, um, and um, I moved here. There's a lot of healers here, and uh, I've been, I've been, I wanted some time for myself. Um, and so when I first moved here, it was 2007 mm-hmm. and in 2008, the economy tanked, yeah. I didn't see it coming. And, um, so people find me, um, and well, backtrack a little bit. So I didn't have an income for like three years oh, wow. when the economy tanked. Um, and so I started doing service work, um, gardening, driving people to medical appointments, oh, wow. grocery shopping for people, um, yeah. recovering from surgery. And these people, you know, who couldn't garden anymore had health issues. And so they'd talk to me and we'd talk and I'd say, well, you know, I, I've heard that this is good for that. And, and you know, I'd make recommendations. Mm-hmm. They would never come to see me as a holistic practitioner, but because I was a gardener, <laughs> they, you know, I was just like a, a nice person that recommended something and they tried it and it worked. And, you know, so it was kind of like I gardened and did sessions um, there too. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What do you think about those years to now? Because 08 and and the 
an economic crisis. I mean, uh, in terms of that that part of your journey, um, cha- change well, in your practice or, or just life in it, general. It, de- it definitely gave me experiences that I needed to be um, more balanced and actual in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, because I really had to cinch in the, the the waist belt, you know, and figure out how to. Um, make a living and, and survive. Mm. Um, before the pandemic, um, Cow's Herb is a herbal supplement company here. Um, it's a health food store, but it doesn't have food. Um, yeah. They uh, had me come in once a month, um, and I brought in my treatment table because I do cranial sacral. Oh, okay. um, it's It's fabulous work. I, I mean, in Colorado, I used to do massage, but I found, and I was training in this technology, mm-hmm. um, but I found that it was even better than massage as far as I'm considered because it, it worked on different, it works differently. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I can work very deeply on somebody, and I, and, um, but only when the body lets me. I'm, I'm not somebody that goes in and, and if there's scar tissue or anything, uh, you know, stirs it up. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in adding trauma to trauma. Um, Do you mind talking uh, a little further about that so for people who might not quite understand or comprehend, like my, myself, about um, that? Because it's almost, are you saying that every human being is very unique and you have to uh, just talk more as it interests me? Talk a little bit more. If you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, the body's like when it's healthy, it's like a well-tuned orchestra. Oh wow! Okay. Okay. So you've got the nervous system, which is like the string section. You've got the heart, which is like the percussion. Hmm. You've got um, the mitochondria and the lymph, and um, all the different systems of the body. And so when it's all, if you will, humming along, mm. it's, it's perfectly in tune. Oh, wow. When something other than harmony is introduced to it, it has a different frequency and a different sound. Mm-hmm. So in cranial sacral, um, <laughs> your hands are listening. So your kinesthetic system is listening to the kinesthetic system that you're working with. Mm. So um, I do a diagnostic at the ankles. Oh, wow. And the body is uh, receives energy through the left and puts it out through the right. So it's a circuit of energy that I complete when I put my uh, thumb and forefinger on the ankles of the person I'm working with. And basically in following the energy and listening to the energy with my hands and my kinesthetic system, my, uh, uh, my my kinesthetic wisdom informs me where there are glitches in the person's system. Oh, wow. 
And um, then the body shows me where to start. Like I had somebody come in in Colorado and she was having problems with her shoulder, um, her right shoulder. And so I did the diagnostic and the body showed me in a different, a different place to start and just took me a whole circuit around the body. And after a couple of um, touches, you know, I, I, it's holding, it's touching. And it's, um, the body wants to be healthy. Mm. So when it's in pain or when it's not working correctly, um, it's got a different vibration or feel to it. Yes. So it's, um, it's holding and then the body, the energy, it'll get hot, it'll get cold. It'll release energy. Yeah. Um, and so after a few of those holds, she was like, it, it's my right shoulder. Mm. I said, I, I, I know. <laughs> and I explained to her um, how it worked and what I was doing and what I was experiencing. And so uh, when and too little work and... Uh, too much work uh, is is not a good thing. So to be able to uh, do the right amount of work so you're not, you don't put put the person in a weird space. Right. Especially if they have to drive. Yeah. You know, and if it's not enough energy, it's not going to be the healing or the release or the relaxation that the person's looking for. And if it's too much, um, they're going to be out of commission for a little bit. And so it's finding that balance point where the body goes, okay, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so I got her body said, okay, that's enough. And I said, okay. She said, but she didn't touch my right shoulder. I said, I know. Mm-hmm. And she sat up and she went, wait a minute. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> I said, I know, because your shoulder was the, th- the part of your body that got your attention, but okay. it was other things that needed help. Interesting. And the shoulder was the big part that uh, got your attention. Oh. It's all connected, yeah. you know? <laughs> so it, it's, it's unusual work, and I love it because I can... My specialty is trauma. Oh. So I help people with trauma that the other rehab and everything hasn't helped. Mm. Well, certainly trauma is a very, um, is in a lot of people's minds, certainly in the culture at large. And it's, it's a concern because there is a lot of it. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, and it's, it's not just physical. Sometimes it's physical and uh, psychological and emotional. Yeah. You can kind of tell when somebody's been verbally um, traumatized yeah. by the way they hold their body. Huh. You know, um, you know, there's a cock to the head. It's it's like they're always in this kind of protective stance, like you know something's going to come at them. Mm-hmm. So I started doing studies at the new school when I was in New York City, um, and then there were. Um, there was reflexology. I mean, there were there are places to learn all this different stuff. And then 
my studies with the indigenous ones, I added their ways of perceiving, understanding, and being with people mm-hmm. to that training. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What are your reflections on the connection between your 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 um, modeling career, those mm-hmm. years, and the wisdom that you've gained doing working with people in the present? Uh, what are your thoughts or reflections about the connection, seeing your life as a, as one life, as a single life, singular, singular and single life, um, a journey? And it's probably a lot to talk about, but what comes to your mind when you think about these connections or anything you want to say about, about that? Um, well, it, they were different worlds that I was stepping into. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't have any connection except for me. Right. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough after that one uh, Colorado River trip to the Grand Canyon to actually um, go to training in Idaho mm. to become a river guide. Oh, and I was able to row in the Grand Canyon for wow. five summers. No, it's amazing. It was like a ballroom dancing with the universe. And I mean, I was, I was skinny. I mean, I was like yeah. a size four or six and I'm like five, nine. And, but, um, uh, you know, I just kept going for it. And I mean, um, the company that I rode for, um, Arizona Raft Adventures, um, they had, um, 45-foot rafts, but they also had um, what they called snout boats hmm. uh, that were made from the bridge pontoons from the um, uh, army. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were long. I mean, they probably were like 65 feet long. And the oars, you had to have counterweights because the oars were so long and heavy that you couldn't possibly... Um, use them properly without some weight helping you to be able to maneuver them well. And it it was really amazing. I mean, it was really, so in the summers, those five summers, I would go to the Grand Canyon and row and camp out and be gone all summer and then come back to New York City and model in the fall and winter. Well, those are two different different worlds being in the country and the water and New York City, you can't get much, much different. And yet you were doing both. You were in both, which to me, and yet, to me is, is, is fascinating. Um, <laughs> it it seems very natural to me. I know it may seem natural to you, but, um, but it, it's, it's um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if everybody possesses all those intelligences, you know, because um, I, I, I see them as different, in my clunky way of putting it, uh, multiple intelligences, because it means you have to... Um, you have to navigate, you know, extremes of human life and urban, the city, the water. And then on top of it, you're developing the ability to, to actually help people, help other people. And yeah. it's very, to me, it's astonishing. Um, um, so um, I guess I'm wondering uh, what, what comes to your mind or your consciousness when you think about, you don't have to mention people's names, but uh, clients that you made, um, 
real breakthroughs with uh, that come, come to your mind or, or, or you learn something from them or, or in, in your work, if what, what ever pops into your mind there about that? Well, there was, um, while I was here in Taos, there was a woman that came from the Dominican Republic mm-hmm. and she, she came with friends and family members, I think. And they, had connections with a person here and they were doing um, something that she didn't want to do. Mm. And she asked the connecting person if there was a spiritual woman that she would recommend that she could have a session with. Mm. And we had a profound um, session. I mean, when, when people come to me, mm-hmm. uh, it, I try and get out of the way, uh, it, like with ego or self-importance or anything like that, yeah. and be open to listening, really listening to the person. And because of the training that I've had with the indigenous ones, and I, I don't know exactly, but sometimes things, if you um, information, wisdom comes through me, and it'll just be an awareness, and I'll speak the truth of it. And and people that I do that with, people are like, wow, could you repeat that? And it was like, I don't know, because it came through me. You know, because my prayer is that I get out of the way and that the person seeking whatever they're seeking gets what they need. Mm-hmm. See, that's why I call it like traditional medicine. And that's where mm-hmm. my indigenous experiences have taken my training to just a slightly different place. Mm-hmm. So that, um, and I integrate all of them. And it's like it was stepping into different worlds, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm the only thing that was, you know, that connected them. Right. And, and it was in my life. Um, I've done a lot of really good work, helped a lot of people. Um, I worked with a woman that, uh, lost her sight at 39. Um, and, uh, it was, um, aniridia, which is a very rare disease. Um, and they knew it somehow at birth that at, at, by, um, a, a certain point, her vision was going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at nine years old, her family sent her to a blind school to learn how to read Braille yes. and, you know, be, have skills when her vision went away, which was, she didn't want her vision to go away. She didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to be in blind school. She wanted to be home with her family. Um, but I met her after she had lost her vision and she had a belief that if she couldn't see life wasn't worth living. Mm. And, um, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad Ray Charles didn't have that, didn't have that belief. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I worked with There's her. Very serious. That, as you, as you know, that made great contributions that were blind artistically. So well, in the arts, but anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just. It's okay. You can. <laughs> um, so it was pretty intense work with her. 
because she was very strong in her opinions. Mm-hmm. And um, I was the knot in the end of her rope. And I yeah. said, well, you know, in China, um, people um, that are blind are masseuses because when one of the senses goes away, the other senses are intensified. Mm-hmm. And actually, this woman... Um, took me uh, on a Grand Canyon river trip as her personal guide. Um, and, um, uh, and we did it different than the way that she wanted to do it because it was a whole different way of going about leading her around and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she, there was, I forget what she wanted to do, but basically, um, she would hang on to the carabiner on the back of my backpack. Okay. And I would guide her through stuff. And I'd say, you know, and if we had something to step over, I would stop and offer my hand and step over it. Um, and we did climbing, uh, bouldering and climbing on rocks that um, seeing people wouldn't even dare to do. But we'd be tapping, I'd have another guy help me, we'd be tapping on the rocks. So she'd either put her hands or feet someplace and we'd keep her safe. Mm. Um, I came back, I was a rag because I was doing, uh, and she was mad at me sometimes, I said, because we have to get back to the boat. Well, I want to go, I want to go to this place. And it's like, no, you can't keep the group waiting. So she went on uh, another Grand Canyon trip and the guides passed her off from one to another. When one was tired, there'd be a new guide come on. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the trip, she was a rag because they they did everything she wanted to do. Um, And she came back and she thanked me for limiting her that it was a much better trip with me. Well, that is, that's a quite a, quite a thanks then. That's, um, yeah, no, I mean, people, it's so interesting when people find me, like I have people from Oklahoma, uh, that don't know each other, but when they come here, they have a session with me. Mm -hmm. It's just like this woman from the Dominican Republic. She had three, three questions that she had only talked to with three other counselors. Yeah. And Every single one, we found the answer. And one of them, it just came through me. And my my prayer was answered to help this person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very unusual work. It's unusual, but you seem so comfortable with it. And, and so, um, I, I dare say, so skilled in that. Um, you speak with uh, uh, a lot of authority uh, on it. So that that's... Um, that's very um, appealing to me, and I and I it's 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 um I'm just wondering um we're in very, as you know very difficult times now and and, and um uh, get, uh given given your uh extensive experience with this this part of your journey is there anything you want to say to our audience about art or about um anything we've discussed that's important to you that comes to your, comes into your consciousness now? Well, I mean, I I think for quite a while, um, 
many of us have known that changes needed to be made, but the changes just seemed like too big, too impossible. Mm. And so this thing comes along and on some level, we don't have a choice. We've got to adjust uh, appropriately. Um, I call it the current normal because people wanted to go back to normal. Yeah. There is no normal. It's just what people were used to. And I think for the tsunami that happened on New Year's, Mm -hmm. the elephants were chained. And before it came, they ripped up the posts and they went to the highlands. Mm. And after it subsided, they came down and rescued the people. Oh, wow. So, uh, and that's like the indigenous experiences that I've had mm-hmm. is to be present. Mm. That, that's where the gift is. If you're ahead of your, I mean, you have to make plans and commitments and like we made a plan and commitment to have this talk. Yeah, but it's, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad we did. I really am glad <laughs> we did. It's really something, but that's the, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, but the present is so important Mm. to be really present. I mean, that's where the gift is. That's why they call it the present. Mm. And each moment that you're present in will unfold onto the next moment uh, appropriately. Mm. I mean, you've got the world tower thing where people were supposed to be there, but they weren't there. People weren't supposed to be there, but they were there. Mm-hmm. That kind of listening and being present mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, you just never know what the future is, really, honestly. That's true. Um, and, and so to just do the best you can in each moment and, and be good to each other as best as you can. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really beautifully said. Well, I've tried to be as present as I can in all my in all my uh, episodes. Um, I always feel like it can do better, but um, I always uh, try my best at that. Certainly. Um, and- well, the thing is that you learn more about balance by losing it mm-hmm. than keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> if you always keep your balance, yeah. you never learn anything. It's it's where you know, you put yourself out there mm-hmm. and you learn. Yeah. And that's, it's okay. That's, you know, it's being human, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and being okay with that. Being a Libra, certainly the issue of balance is not far, is never too far from my, uh, from my, <laughs> I could say. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a good awareness. Yeah. Um, this has been a beautiful discussion. Is there anything else before we even good things end uh, that you want to say or anything comes to mind about anything? It feels good. Okay. And we can talk again if you'd like. I mean, because obviously, I mean, did you look at my resume at all? Of course. Okay. So there's a lot. There's a lot. I'm a seeker. Yes. And, and so I'm continually curious and seeking. And um, and learning, 
and you know, it's there's always something that will catch my attention and 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 bring me forward. So, and I'm glad to share. And hopefully, oh, one more, this has been. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. one more thing. Um, I you talked about your parents being very religious growing up, and that uh-huh. kind of conservative religiosity. I thought, well, this is very interesting. You've been practicing a, a kind of spirituality. Uh, any thoughts about the, that connection or difference? Or it's interesting, huh? About what, yeah. I, um, at, at eighteen, uh, it, I was at a church, and it was discovered that the minister um, was having affairs with the divorcing women that were coming to him for counseling. Mm-hmm. He's married and sixty, and. And it turned out that the deacons were having affairs and stuff like that. And it was yeah. like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> right, right. You can't be talking at me from that, that post up there right. and, 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 and pointing your finger at me. Right. And, you know, it's like, I know the rules and I hope it's okay that I don't sing in the choir. But, yeah, um, yeah um, I, I, spiritual, you're... Your spiritual beliefs are personal, sure. and religion is a great place to start. But really, it's between you and God or Jehovah mm-hmm. or um, Creator or the Divine Mystery or however you relate to it. That's right. So, I mean, it was a great place to start, Start, you know, and um, uh, my father was really concerned for me. Mm-hmm. But it it's like I'm you know I don't need to have somebody tell me I'm in connection with it. Yeah. Yeah. What a remarkable journey, Sunny. Well, I really enjoyed this a lot. And maybe we'll me too. Maybe yeah. We'll meet again. And and again, my dream is to get you and Chris Warrior on the same show. I don't know if that that's possible or not, but uh, who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen Chris in, in years. Um, I did watch her on the Halston specials, and she's had some interviews um, and film film uh, videos up on Facebook. And it's, it's so interesting, too, because we've definitely headed in different directions. And not that she's not a spiritual person, but she also has kept yourself in the fashion world. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's, it's, and, it's interesting, the choices people make and the, and the different paths. Of course, she's so identified with one particular designer. Um, I guess, um, but before you go, let me ask you about designers that you thought were really, this person really makes great clothing. Any, any well, I mean, Halston was amazing. Uh-huh. He was my, he was a dream of mine, uh-huh. um, and I I did work for him a little bit. I got to do how I met him was um, Jeffrey Bean oh. and Gloria Vanderbilt and uh, Steve Mackey and Halston um, got chosen to be on the Love Boat on a special and two hours. Love Boat. Um, yes, I was actually the director chose me to be the model for the actors um, because one of the actors was um, working for a bridal um, designer supposedly and he was in love with the owner of the business's daughter 
but the owner didn't think that he was a good designer. Right, right. So, and they were on the boat to be part of the fashion show. That's right. And um, there was, uh, so I came out uh, with two male models um, in a bridal outfit, you know, the full thing with the with a full skirt yeah. and the veil and the headdress and the bodice, everything, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I had it. It actually transformed into a disco outfit. I know that so, because I rewatched this recently in preparation for this. <laughs> but the one that was me. The, hold on, I want to see. I have not yet to see the Merv Griffin. I have. I don't know if that, that's available anywhere. I don't know if you have a copy of you on Merv, on Griffin show, but anyhow, you know, I, actually, I I have a videotape of it. You do. Um, I I just was I was working in my studio today. Um, and I yeah, um, I I have the yeah, I it's a it's a VHS. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I've never seen it. I'd love to see it. But being on Love Boat, that's it's kind of a its own crazy universe. That episode with Halston and those. Oh yeah, and it was. Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy, the man from Solo, um, the actor. He oh, sat. Short did a love boat too, of all people. Right, but but this other guy, um, he sat with his script in front of the models' campers because we were on a set. We weren't on the boat. It was the the. It was filmed on a Hollywood set, mm-hmm. and they'd always show you pictures of the boat. But it was it was in a studio. Um. Um, but I got to meet Halston. And so I guess when he watched me do the bridal thing, which is off with a headdress and off with the bodice and the, the skirt turned inside out and I had a gold lame bustier and knickers. Yeah, the disco. And the, the dress turned in, into a cape. Yeah. And it <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I got to wear some of his things. And then uh, actually I was part of his, perfume launch you were um yeah i can i can send you a picture of that i didn't work for him a lot um um, which was sad because the fact that you worked him at all is remarkable i mean it's just um i don't know do people today realize how how special that time was maybe some people do but i don't know i just um it's really something what, um, what were your impressions of, of Ewan McGregor's film, the biopic? Did you watch that? Oh, I thought he was absolutely fabulous. There was some times when he was, was speaking. Yeah, first of all, that was a great piece of filmmaking as a film, I thought. Didn't you? I mean, yeah. I thought it was good. Yeah. Um, um, he was amazing. In fact, sometimes when he was speaking, I could have sworn it was Halston. Yep. No, it it was totally amazing. He did such a fabulous job. Um, Another fabulous designer, um, John Anthony. And Oscar de la Renta. And um, Mary McFadden. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was was her, her, her house model for a while. McFadden? Yep. Oh, and um, John Kaleal was her fashion assistant, mm-hmm. and we had so much fun doing the show because he had me. He had music and different things for the different uh, style, you know, similar styles because it would be the same kind of fabric, and then you know, it there would be different outfits um, in kind of uh, one 
kind of collection. Mm. Um, and there was one time when he had me on the runway um, and um, he had me stop and look suddenly like I was startled or afraid. Yeah. And the whole audience went like that. And then we went on with the show. I don't, I forget why, but, but we, yeah, uh, John Kaleal was amazing designer also yep. and had a very short lived career. Um, he had his own, you know, he had backers in his own line, but and not enough influence in the fashion world to, it's true. Um, to be, and not certainly not a big, big, big a name as some other, other, other people. Uh, I would love, you know, I'd love to see a copy of that Merv Griffin show if you if you could send it to me. So I'd love to see that. <laughs> well, let, let yeah, um, um, yeah, or I can see because you can have it converted. Yeah, Merv, I mean, do, do you have? I don't. Do you have? Anything. I'm so low tech. I mean, I just got a computer and. No, that's okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think in order for you to see it, you'll, you'll need to have it converted. Yeah. Um, and and I, I might even have a device to do that, but yeah. that's future reference. But the other amazing designer is Givenchy. Oh, wow. Hubert. Hubert. Him. Okay. Work with him. Uh, it was such an honor to work with him. Oh, my goodness. Um, he mostly used black girls because, I mean, he did linen suits with white gloves and pillbox hats and things like that. That was his, but his uh, style, his um, metier. He was known for that, yeah. He was amazing. So there was one time uh, I was in Paris for a pret-a-porter, and um, linen suit, and um, he called the tailor in because the shoulder... Um, wasn't doing exactly what he wanted. That's right. And he had a discussion in French. Now, my French is okay, but um, it was like, and he started talking about flax, yeah. the nature of the plant, and 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 the nature uh, yeah, of the plant and made into linen. That's right. And he talked about the different way to place the pattern of the sleeve. So with the fabric, where it would be poofier. Right. And, uh, I mean, they were in three-piece suits. Yeah. And the tailor had a, um, a tape measure around his neck. Yeah. And, and Hubert was talking about flax and fabric and, you know, yeah. and the tailor is, oui, monsieur, oui, monsieur, oui, monsieur, right? Mm -hmm. And he totally forgot I was there. Oh, wow. And when he finished, he stepped back and he saw me and he went, oh, oh, mademoiselle, uh, excuse me, what? He, he apologized and it was like, I got to see the real Givenchy. It was amazing. What did you glean from eavesdropping, even though he didn't know you eavesdropping? What, 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 I mean, that's, I guess you saw. Like, what, what, I, like, what I just said, yeah. you know, I mean, right. he, well, he came from old world understanding of fashion. Yeah. I mean, it's, linen, linen it's, is such a, um, well, I've worn linen suits. I know about linen. And there's different kinds of linen, too, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. But they're, yeah. um, they're remarkable. Uh -huh. Remarkable. Um, yes, we can't go on forever, Sonny, but it's been, a, but I've really enjoyed being present with you. Uh, Great. Uh, immensely. Yes. 
And um, I uh-huh. want to thank, thank you for your your, your um, generosity of spirit and your and everything being on. And thank you for the opportunity. And um, thank you immensely, and to be continued. Great. Thank I you. look forward to it. Have a good evening. Yeah, good evening. Bye-bye. Bye. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Thank you.